Turn it three. Positive rotation. Ignition. Welcome to Roll Call, a 126 air refueling wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Brian Ellison, the Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Coming up, Major Mike McCarthy, the 126th Maintenance Squadron Commander, tells us how his squadron fits into the maintenance group and what some of his most memorable moments have been so far in the in the military. And you're probably wondering, will the maintenance group be hanging another banner? Find out when we talk with Major McCarthy. We have an exercise this weekend. It's the 3rd through the 5th of March. Be careful because of the alert vehicles near the intersection of uh, Golf Course Road and Prior Road. That's uh, over by the static display by Building 5010. Uh, just slow down as you go across. They're going to have some road barriers there. So it's not cut off. It's just they just want you to slow down. The fitness center at 5010 will also be closed. Other things going on besides the exercise, Friday is a good time to maybe uh, go see a personal financial counselor. There are one-on-ones that you can get scheduled over at the Military and Family Readiness Building, 1650, uh, from 08 to 4 o'clock. You can email or call for to, to schedule an appointment. You can email pfc.scott.us at ziders.com that's z-e-i-d-e-r-s.com or call 618-304-7311 saturday is uh, the uh, lunch club featuring uh talk with uh, the our financial personal financial counselor on tsp and investments that's at the dfac 11 to 1 o'clock during the 126th lunch club by the way, you can find all this information out and a whole lot more, including changes coming to military and family readiness here at, uh, at, one tw- at the 126th by signing up for the Military and Family Readiness Resource Roundup. You can email them to sign up, 126arw.afr.mailbox at us.af.mil. And Sunday at noon... In building 5029 is the rising six elections. You can nominate an E1 through E6 for the positions of president, vice president, treasurer, secretary. It doesn't matter your rank. You can uh, either nominate a friend or you can nominate yourself to be a part of the rising six, which is an enlisted organization that is great. It helps with wing cohesion, uh, great for personal development, professional development, mentorship, networking, volunteer, and morale. Uh, Airmen that actively participate can come together with their challenges, talk about things, and uh, figure out ways to fix them. Uh, whether you're an airman interested in being on the in an executive position or just uh, general participation, you can uh, sign up, go to this meeting coming up Sunday at noon at Building 5029. E1 through E6 are welcome to attend the next meeting. Coming up in this week's Look Around the Air Force, the Service Member Relief Act has expanded and added new benefits. Joining us today, Major Mike McCarthy, the 126th Maintenance Squadron Commander, is here. Sir, thanks for coming in. 
Hey, I'm happy to be here, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to say a little bit about myself and what we do in maintenance. So how long have you been maintenance squadron? Because uh, it seems like uh, I didn't see start seeing you around until last year, and I was like, who's this dude? Yeah, so I came on board full-time as the maintenance squadron commander uh, in February of 2022. So I've been around for just about a year, but prior to that, um, I had worked in various other places within the maintenance group, um, spanning back almost 18 years. And all of that was as a drill status guardsman. So uh, what's, uh, what's been that challenge, like going from uh, a DSG, a uh, drill status guardsman, to now being a full-time maintenance commander? I will say it, it's an interesting transition because prior to being full-time, I was the maintenance operations flight commander. So I still had some command responsibilities, which required a lot of interaction throughout the week when I wasn't out here. Uh, so being out here full-time has made it considerably easier to give everything the attention that it needs. Uh, but I will say uh, having a full-time force uh, as large as what we have in the maintenance squadron, and then you add on the uh, the drill status guardsmen as well, uh, I think we come out to about 130 folks. So there's a lot of folks that have a lot of things going on, and it, it does take a lot of time. So being able to provide uh, or give myself enough time throughout the week to focus on each one of those individuals, uh, it's a lot better than trying to do that on a part-time basis. I can imagine. How much, when you were a DSG, did you commit to being, uh, to working on, you know, uh, like you said, the maintenance flight, as the maintenance flight commander? I'm sure that probably takes up a lot of your time when you're a commander and you're DSG. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it was interesting at first because I, I had gone from a, uh, uh, a DSG maintenance officer to a DSG uh, maintenance operations flight commander. And that, like I said, required a little bit more time invested, um, whether it be reviewing EPRs or staying up to speed on, on folks' uh, medical or annual training or who's going on deployments, things like that. So uh, the full-time staff really did work on a lot of those things, but uh, a lot of it came through me. So uh, I would spend I'd say a few hours at least uh, weekly, sometimes more, uh, just kind of, you know, getting up to speed. Uh, I had folks that I would call at the unit just to understand what was going on, but they did a good job keeping me apprised of what was happening. And, you know, I would come out on AT when needed if there was a, a little more than, you know, just an hour or two here or there. So. <laughs> so you were maintenance flight, maintenance operations flight commander. What is that? What's that job? So. The maintenance group uh, really is broken down into three bigger areas. Um, you have the maintenance operations flight, and that includes the MOC, or the Maintenance Operations right. Center. Okay. Uh, it also includes uh, some of the other functions like the unit training manager, uh, the unit deployment manager, plans and scheduling, uh, the resource advisor, maintenance analysis, uh, those are all things that fall within the maintenance operations flight. So it's really wow. something that doesn't fall anywhere else in maintenance. And then adjacent to them, you also have the, the quality assurance section, which is not part of the maintenance operations flight, but it falls directly under the group. Okay. So 
outside of that, you have two squadrons right. in the maintenance group. Right. <laughs> and and I just want to, you know, it sounds like the maintenance flight, a maintenance operations flight is kind of the heart and soul of uh, really it, keeping the trains on running on time almost. It, it is. It, it, it's really the, the brain behind the operation. Um, you know, everything goes through them. They're the, the control center, the central nervous system, if you will. <laughs> yeah, so sure. There, there, there's definitely a lot of coordination. Uh, the mock is apprised of everything that's going on in maintenance when it comes to the maintenance production effort and what personnel are doing what so and that and that's uh, uh the maintenance, oper- maintenance operations center that's a full-time job that you you, ha- you have people there full-time yes yes yeah. we do yeah they uh anytime there's maintenance going on there is somebody in the mock you are now the maintenance squadron commander what's your day-to-day like as a as a commander so today is a uh, a good example of a standard day. All right. Okay. Not, not every day is the same, but a lot right. of them have a pretty good battle rhythm. So, sure. so today will consist of, uh, you know, I come in first thing in the morning, get some coffee, talk to CSS, and uh, right. read a couple emails. Uh, from there, I go to a, a leadership huddle that we have at about six fifty-five. Uh, that includes just a few folks. And then from there, we move to the, the maintenance production meeting. Okay. And that's at 7.15, and that includes all the key stakeholders or representative from each across the maintenance group. And there we just uh, we go through aircraft status, what our flying is, uh, what our priorities are, uh, our personnel okay, support equipment, things like that. Um, and then from there, we kind of peel off and get focused on today's event. So for me today, obviously, I'm over here for a little bit. Um, but really, that sweet spot between 8 and 10, that's where I get a lot of tasks knocked out. So whether that's, uh, you know, personnel actions sure. or, uh, or just really engaging with folks, whatever it might be, it's never the same. But that, that two-hour window is really good for that. Um, after that... I try to either hit the gym or get some lunch when I can, and then uh, and then hit it hard again right after lunch as far as getting after whatever tasks are on my plate for the day. So you come in earlier than, than most folks, I would imagine. I do. I come in around 6.30, um, and we got folks that are actually in earlier than that, but it's it's necessary you know really our uh, our first meeting of the day is at 655 our big group meeting is at 715 so wow. whatever i need to do to prepare for that uh, i'm happy to do it what's the maintenance squadron's role cuz you have the aircraft maintenance squadron and then you have the maintenance squadron yes. what's your, what's your guys role in uh, in in this uh, this uh, great maintenance group so i'd like to uh, describe the aircraft maintenance squadron first okay because uh, i think that'll make it a little easier so uh, the aircraft maintenance squadron that is your squadron full of crew chiefs their job okay. is the day-to-day maintenance of the aircraft they're the ones out there launching and recovering doing the general servicing tasks um, if you've ever flown on an aircraft outside of here you see the folks with uh, the vests and the wands standing outside the aircraft that's that's kind of what the aircraft maintenance squadron does. They're jacks of all trades, masters of none. And when I say they're masters of none, that's because we have specialists in the maintenance squadron. So okay. switching gears now from aircraft maintenance squadron to maintenance squadron. This is commonly referred to or seen as the back shops. Oh, okay, um, yeah. It And that's true to some extent. Um, so we do have 15 different AFSCs. They do a lot wow. of different specialty functions uh, within aircraft maintenance. So... Uh, the maintenance squadron is divided into two main areas. You have component maintenance okay. and equipment maintenance. So component maintenance has your avionics folks, your accessories folks, which is uh, hydraulics, fuels, and uh, electro-environmental. 
and then you have your jets folks, so engine mechanics. Uh, the equipment maintenance side is a little different. It has the aerospace ground equipment, so all the support equipment we use on the aircraft. It has the fabrication section, and that includes uh, non-destructive inspections, metals technology, and sheet metal mechanics. And then the last area under there is the maintenance flight. And this really is crew chiefs, but they're assigned to slightly different jobs. So this is uh, like repair and reclamation, or uh, uh, the isochronal inspection. Oh, yeah. oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yes. okay, I didn't know yeah. that. that so, was... yes. So, so we do uh, we do work with AMXS very closely, and we spend a lot of time on the flight line as well. So, if there's any issues uh, with a particular system on the aircraft, uh, a crew chief generally will take a look at it, and they'll uh, if it's if it's outside their wheelhouse, they'll call a specialist to come in and look at it. I have to I have to let you know that uh, Master Arn Esker is. He's a genius over in the metal shop. He does. Uh, he helps us out a lot, and he's uh, we, we you know we uh, really appreciate his help, and he's done some really neat stuff for for the wing and even the state. He has, yeah. Master Sergeant Esker is uh, one. He, he's uh, he's a great person, um, and he's also he's really good at what he does yeah. over there in uh, in metals technology. But you really can't r- walk around this wing too far without seeing something uh, that was done by by someone in the fabrication section. So uh, Master Sergeant Esker is a great example of that, though. How much do you have to? Uh, how much do you rely on your uh, non-commissioned officers? Because uh, you said there's 15 AFSCs. I yes. mean, you can't know it all. How, how how important it is that is it for them to keep you up to date and you know for you to understand what's going on? Yes. So I rely very heavily on airmen, NCOs, and senior NCOs. Uh, you know, everyone in the maintenance group <clears throat> has a has an important job, and absolutely, you're right. I do not understand all the intricacies of 15 different AFSCs. I will try to look at things a little more holistically, but that's why we have our big maintenance production meeting in the morning, and we also have one later in the afternoon, which is kind of a recap of what's occurred over the day's events, and then uh, what we're planning to accomplish on our second shift. So. Again, we have representatives uh, from each of these AFSCs up there to talk about uh, you know, everything in their wheelhouse, anything that's going on, because you know your general uh, your general maintenance officer is not going to understand everything about the aircraft engine or everything that's going on in metals tech, um, and that's why we rely on these experts, and they they do a very good job of explaining it in terms that I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a maintenance troop before; you were prior enlisted. What yes. was uh, what was your uh, AFSC then? So I was a crew chief when I was enlisted. Um, okay. Yeah, I joined in in 05 and I spent uh, about seven years as a crew chief. Okay. Um, and I will say I, I don't have the highest mechanical inclination, but I was always ready to work. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I relied a lot on uh, on the NCOs and senior NCOs uh, when I was out there. Um, but you know, they they were good. They they were really good trainers. Uh, they show you how to do the job. You get to follow a TO that tells you exactly how to do the job. So. Um, you know, I was able to get through that uh, that period of my career unscathed, but uh, I'm happy to, to leave that work to the experts now because they are far <laughs> better at that than I ever was. So what are some of the challenges of being a uh, commander in the National Guard? Because you aren't commanding troops that are there every day. Yes. So not having access to about half the workforce every day, that absolutely is a challenge. Um, it's a challenge for a number of reasons. One, 
I like to build relationships with the folks that I'm working with. Um, it's tough to get to know folks when you only see them once a month. And, you know, with, with as many folks as we have in the maintenance group and the maintenance squadron, sometimes you're not going to get to have a good conversation with every member, every drill. So that's just the reality. Um, but it also makes it difficult in explaining the why behind what we do. So, again, relying on, on shop chiefs or senior NCOs, NCOs instilling uh, a sense of pride, uh, in these folks, because um, when they come out on a drill weekend, you know, the expectation is they're there to work and they're there to learn. But that doesn't mean they can't have a lot of fun doing it. And it doesn't mean that they can't build some solid relationships. Uh, you know, I, I always look back at my time when I was a, a drill status guardsman and enlisted member. And I remember some of the things that I enjoyed and some of the things that I didn't. Uh, I never enjoyed coming in on a on a drill weekend and not understanding why I was being told to do something. Uh, I understand there's going to be times where you're just going to be told, hey, this is what you need to do, and you just do it. Um, but there's other times where understanding the why really does have a, a profound impact. It, it gives you a sense of, um, of focus, but also a, accomplishment once you're done. Like, you understand how you contributed. And building that in our members, uh, that's important. But again, with, uh, with the limited touch time with drill status guardsmen, we rely a lot on the full-time folks to, to help us build that. So we're flying again uh, on the drill weekends, or at least we did in February. How, how does that, uh, well, I guess that's more of an AMXS question, but maybe it, it affects you too. But how has that affected, uh, what's that, is that uh, an advantage for the DSG guys? Yes, absolutely. Anytime we can fly on a weekend, that is an advantage for the drill status guardsmen. When you look at where we were maybe 10 years ago, folks would come in on a drill weekend, they would spend a lot of time doing CBTs and not a lot of time doing their sure. job. We've gradually moved away from that. Um, you know, we've gotten more into the uh, the mass briefings and appointments and things like that. So it's no longer fighting over a computer, but it that doesn't necessarily get you out doing your job. So uh, anytime we can fly, we do get a lot of good training out of that. But what we've done in maintenance is try to have scheduled maintenance going on over a drill weekend. That way, even if there is not flying, uh, drill status guardsmen are able to get some touch time with the aircraft. You don't want to have a member uh, go multiple drills without touching an aircraft. Sure. You know, yeah. their, their AFSC is aircraft related. So right. any amount of time that we can get them uh, touching an aircraft, that's a good thing. So we try to build our drill weekends uh, to encompass that. And you have new technology to help them with that, right? With uh, virtual reality? How, well, is that still an AMXS question, isn't it? it it's not an AMXS question, but it's, uh, that stuff is really in work. So we, our training shop does have that, and it, it allows you to basically be a, uh, a virtual airman, and you're around an aircraft, and you can look at different components. Uh, I think over time we will probably get into that a little bit more, but right now, there is no substitute that is good as physically turning a wrench on an aircraft. You can simulate it. You can watch videos. But until you're actually touching, uh, it's, it's not quite the same. Right. How does the 906, the airman, fit into your squadron? And what's that been like for you as a, as a commander? I've enjoyed having the 906 uh, embedded with us. So, you know, having so many different shops in the maintenance squadron, it's nice when you can rely on well-trained individuals coming from different bases with different perspectives uh, 
to basically be reliable members of the team. I remember back when uh, we were all guardsmen, and then uh, the 906 game, and we you know we moved to that integration. Uh, things were a little rocky at first, but I think over the last 10, 15 years, we've really worked through that. So. Yeah, these days, um, you know, I can walk into any shop and I don't have to look for a guardsman. I don't have to look for a 906 member. I can just talk to somebody in there and I'll, I'll get the scoop. So I think they've, uh, they've, they've really done a good job integrating with us. And, and I think that's going to continue. If you look at the way the, the Air Force has been trending over the last few years, it's, it's been a lot more about one team, one fight. And I think as we continue to, to bring in new folks into the 906, it, it really gives a lot of our traditional guardsmen a good perspective of what their counterparts in the active duty are doing. Um, we rely on our 906 brethren uh, for some things because they've been, uh, in most cases, active duty the entire time, whereas now that we have a lot more AGRs, we're still kind of working our way through some of the processes and procedures that come with being active duty. And having experts right there, or folks that have been through these things, it really does help us out in management quite a bit as well. What, uh, what kind of uh, challenges do, do you see with the, the AGR that you're working through? Well, when it comes to uh, you know, anything like TRICARE or EPRs, oh, sure. things like that, or, you know, hey, uh, I can't get a dental appointment, so what do I do? How do I remain worldwide qualified? So talking to folks that have been through this at other installations, uh, you know, it, it, it really does help us quite a bit. Um, they also, uh, a lot of the 906 folks, especially the NCOs that have been around a while, um, they seem to know a lot about uh, little veterans' benefits in different states and how you can apply for them. So I think there's, a, there's some discussions that happen at the shop level on, on things that you can do to, to get your money's worth. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Anything you can share about Illinois? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who are some uh, people that have influenced you in, the, in your military career? I have had a lot of folks that have influenced my military career. Uh, for the sake of how many within the 126 have been an influence, uh, either those that are retired or uh, those that are still in, I'm not going to mention them because I still work with a lot of folks that influence me. Um, but but I do want to mention a couple folks outside of here. Um, one is Lieutenant Colonel Jeremy Wagner. So a few years ago, I was on a MPA tour at AMC A3Y, the Joint Exercises Division. Okay. And Lieutenant Colonel Wagner was my supervisor. Uh, he was a C-130 pilot and weapons officer, uh, very well-rounded individual. And he taught me a lot to, to challenge the process, focus more on the results. Uh, there seems to be a lot uh, within within any bureaucracy really of uh focusing a lot on the process and it, in some cases you you lose out on the results he did exactly the opposite of that and he got questioned a lot and folks above him were always asking him questions but but he dealt with it tactfully he did, he was very diplomatic um but again he always looked at the end result and that's what he was always pursuing and you know working with somebody that's focused on the mission uh it it really is uh, it's really good for the subordinates because you understand how you are supporting uh, the mission and also you know how, how that individual is going about accomplishing his objectives and where you fit into that. So uh, his ability to challenge the status quo, if you will, uh, I always admired that. And another individual I'd like to bring up is Mr. Chris Andrews. Now, uh, he was a 
civil servant when I met him. Uh, he was a retired senior master sergeant from the comm career field. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was uh, starting my civil service career uh, back in 2010, uh, he was assigned as my trainer. And he was very good at explaining why we were doing things. Uh, but he was also very thorough in making sure I understood how to do it and what to do in the case of different contingencies. And he also was able to tie things in uh, to where this fits in the big picture. So even though it was contracting, which was new to me at the time, uh, he, was, he was an extremely knowledgeable individual. And I will say that if we had folks like him that were training everybody, we wouldn't have a retention issue. Just because <laughs> he, he put in so much time to make sure that I understood what I was doing. And then, you know, he would also build build uh, his relationship with me on a personal level as well. Um, you know, whether it was just asking about family life or what I'm doing outside of work, things like that. Um, you know, we went to a couple Cardinals games together, hey. things like that. Just, right. you know, hanging out outside of work too. And I, I understand that's not going to be the case in every scenario. But again, uh, the, uh, the influence that he had on me um, and, you know, the, the way I was able to learn my job, I've tried to, I've tried to take that forward and, and use that um, when I'm training folks as well. So, you know, he, he also had a big influence. But, and I don't mean to, uh, to dismiss the influences I've had here at the 126 because I have had so many good uh, oh, sure, NCOs, yeah. senior NCOs right. and officers. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I'll save that for a retirement speech someday. <laughs> That's great. What's been a uh, memorable moment for you in your military career? I've had a lot of memorable moments in my career, but there are just a couple that I'd, I'd like to highlight. Um, in 2017, I went on a deployment to CENTCOM. Now, I had been to CENTCOM uh, a handful of times before, but this was my first deployment there as an officer. And I think I grew a lot on that deployment. Uh, it was very rewarding. Uh, you know, 2017-18, we're still uh, in the thick of things with ISIS, still... Uh, sure. present in Afghanistan. So uh, we we did a lot of good things in support of the uh, uh, their component commander and, and really their campaign. So, uh, but what was unique about that uh, after being gone for 130 days or whatever it was, uh, that was also my first deployment where I had kids. So getting off the tanker here at Scott and, uh, you know, having uh, two little daughters run up to you and jump on you, you can't match that feeling. Uh, you can watch as many military homecoming videos mm -hmm. as you want, but when you're the actual subject of that and you got you got little arms wrapping around you, there is no better feeling. So that that was really a highlight. Another highlight, though, um, was uh, last year my stepdaughter decided to uh, join the Air National Guard, so I got to swear her in, and that also was was an extremely memorable occasion for me. I'm sure she barely remembers it, but <laughs> but I sure do. <laughs> so that was uh, that was really cool, and and you know that that's where I am today as far as huge memories. Um, but I, I think there's a, there's still more to come. Is she uh, is she in the wing then? She is. Yes, she works in FSS. Okay. Oh, nice. Very nice. Um, so you, you mentioned you've been in the wing now 18 years. What, what made you decide to join the Air National Guard? Well, when I was looking at going to college, uh, it turns out that uh, I was not nearly as uh, athletic as <laughs> some of my classmates. So uh, an athletic scholarship was not going to happen for me. Uh, what what kind of 
What well, sport? S- soccer. Oh, okay, soccer. cool, nice. Yeah. Um, Where'd you go to high school? If I have I, to I went to high school at O'Fallon. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, right. and I did play soccer there all four years, but yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not receive any offers. So, <laughs> That's a uh, bummer. Uh, luckily, Uncle Sam though uh, he had a deal for me. So uh, I joined the Air National Guard for two reasons, really. Um, one was the college benefits. Sure. Um, you know, I went to I went to college. The guard paid for it, and uh, and I got paid while I was going there. Uh, the other reason that I joined the Guard and specifically wanted to be a crew chief is because they get to travel. Sure. And I traveled a lot. Uh, during my college years, weekends, I was, I was on the road. Um, I went on deployments during the summer or uh, you know, other TDYs during winter breaks. So even though I was in college, I was also doing a lot of traveling. And, uh, and that's really what I wanted to get out of it. So that's why I joined the Guard. Uh, honestly, though, six years after that, um, it's the people. That's why I'm staying in the guard. That's why I have stayed in the guard. And that's, you know, that that's really what it what it is now. So, you know, you take the perspective of a 17 year old. I want to I want to go to college and I, I want to travel. Um, I achieved those goals. Yeah, uh, I hear that a lot. Guard. <laughs> yeah. I hear that a lot. Like, oh, I came in for the college, but, you know, I stayed for the people. I, yes. What uh, where'd you go to college and what was your degree? Uh, I went to SIUE. OK, uh, I got a bachelor's. Uh, in business administration, and then uh, and then after that, I went to uh, Webster University and got a Master of Arts in Management. Oh, nice, very nice. What made you choose the 126? So there was a couple reasons uh, with the 126. My uh, my dad was in uh, the active duty Air Force for a number of years, so I grew up around the KC-135s. Uh, always liked him, and really, I mean, since I was born, he had worked on 135s. He was a navigator, so I had spent plenty of time with them. Um, but uh, the latter part of his career, he spent in the 126, um, and uh, and then he eventually got back on active duty. But um, yeah, it was it was during my junior year uh, when I was looking at options and had come to that conclusion that I wasn't going to be getting any <laughs> athletic scholarships. Uh, he did suggest the guard, and he brought me in, and I, I sat down in office with uh, Senior Master Sergeant P.J. Gallagher. Okay. Uh, he was the recruiter at the time. And, uh, and yeah, he, he basically explained what a crew chief did, and, uh, and I was like, well, that's definitely something I'm interested in. I walked down to the uh, – uh, walked down to the maintenance complex, and I got to talk to a couple of the crew chiefs, and I was sold. So uh, I didn't even look at any other units. That was that was pretty quick, but yeah, they had me <laughs> that day. <laughs> what was it about uh, the crew chiefs that you liked? Uh, just seeing what they were doing, um, you know, working on an airplane. I thought that was really cool, and of course, it was the KC-135, which you know I'd grown up around. Um, I figured the crew chief was probably the uh, the job where you're going to spend the most amount of time on an airplane. But I asked him questions. I was like, hey, you know, I don't really know much about being a mechanic. Like, I can change light bulbs and stuff, but, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm 17. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And they're like, no, they'll send you to tech school. You'll learn about it there. Um, and then you come back and, you know, you got folks training you, and then the book tells you exactly what you need to do on each thing. And they're like, plus, you get to travel. And they had talked about some of the, the recent trips they'd been on, and they mentioned – Iceland, they mentioned Germany and places like that. I'm like, wow, I would like to do that. So, uh, yeah, just a couple conversations with a couple of the crew chiefs, and, yeah, I was, I was really invested in that. I got to ask a question I haven't heard yet. Uh, 
Uh, who are you guys going to hang another banner for uh, the best uh, KC135 mission capable uh, group again? Yes, uh, for fiscal year 22, uh, we had an 85.7% mission capable rate. That is once again the uh, the highest in the KC-135 fleet across the Air Force and the Air National Guard. So yes, that, that banner just went up. So feel free to come on by and take a look at that. Uh, it's, it's just next to the previous six. <laughs> <laughs> so anything uh, you want to add, sir, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I would just like to say that uh, Maintenance is an outstanding organization. I have spent 17 years there. I've worked in every area of the maintenance group. Uh, so to be able to lead a squadron within the maintenance group is an absolute privilege. But if you're in the Air National Guard or you're thinking about joining the Air National Guard and you want to be a member of the maintenance team, please come over and take a look. I think you'd really enjoy it. All right, sir. Thank you very much. That was the Maintenance Squadron Commander, Mike McCarthy. Again, thanks for coming in, sir. Thank you very much for having me. This has been great. Service members and their dependents have greater coverage under new amendments to the Service Member Civil Relief Act. The act provides a shield against negative impacts to financial affairs due to service obligations. Three significant changes cover contract terminations, taxes, and professional licenses. Contract terminations now include gym memberships, fitness programs, and home security services. That protection also extends to dependents during relocation. Service members now have more flexibility in choosing their domicile for tax purposes. They can select their residence, their spouse's residence, or their permanent duty station. Finally, members and spouses who are relocating now have the ability to transfer an active professional license to a new jurisdiction. Undersecretary of the Air Force Gina Ortiz-Jones will step down effective March 6th. Secretary of the Air Force Frank Kendall says Jones's leadership improved the readiness of the Air and Space Force for years to come by enabling airmen, guardians, and their families to perform at their highest levels. When Jones leaves, Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Financial Management and Comptroller, Kristen Jones, will perform the duties of Undersecretary of the Air Force. Secretary Kendall says she'll keep the momentum going. The 2023 Vice Chief's Challenge is underway. Airmen can submit their ideas for innovative solutions to challenges affecting Agile Combat Employment, or ACE. The ACE concept increases survivability while generating combat power in geographically dispersed locations. General David Alvin, Air Force Vice Chief of Staff, appealed directly to airmen to submit their ideas in a promotional video. You are the critical advantage. You have the ideas and the ingenuity required to help us accelerate and fly, fight, and win. That's your look around the Air Force. I'm Technical Sergeant Brett Crowley. It's tax season. I know, I can hear the dread through your speakers. Military OneSource includes free, easy-to-use tax prep. That's free, easy-to-use tax prep at Military OneSource. My wife and I use it every year and never had any major problems. If we had a question, uh, we could call them at Military OneSource. Uh, I'll put a link to Military OneSource taxes in the description of this fine production you are partaking in right now. If you are having thoughts of suicide or know someone in crisis, call the Military Crisis Line 988. That's 988. When you call that number, you can press 1. You can also uh, text that line as well. You can find all of our links on Linktree. That's linktr.ee 
forward slash 126. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can also download this on your favorite podcast app. If you would like to pass along some information about something going on in your squadron or in your group, email roll call at 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Master Sergeant Brian Ellison. 